You are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that needs you to wait if we're going to get paid at all. I'm your host, Fletcher Arnett, and with me is... Chris. And Matt. And today we are talking about episodes 4 through 6 of Monster by Naoki Urasawa. It kicks off pretty brutally with episode 4, Night of the Execution, where we resume exactly where we were last week with... Junkers, the patient of Dr. Tenma, who had just been hit by a car, muttering, the monster is coming, over and over. Yeah, he's, um, we should do maybe do a little bit of a mild recap each episode, given how the show is. So, Junkers is the lockpick that they think worked with the group that is doing the serial killings of uh, childless couples in Germany. And as a result of that, this is why Inspector Lunge is trying to get information out of the man the instant we leave the intro. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so all of the childless couples are actually couples where the, where, um, Yo- Johan had stayed, right? That's we didn't what... know that yet, but yes. Yeah, that okay. seems like that's the pattern here. They never explicitly state it, but I'm pretty sure that's what's up with it. That is explicitly it, yeah. Tenma has figured that out by the end of this. Okay, great. I did not. I just figured it out just now. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> my dude they say some of these things in the show look no but like they they i'm surprised that the police didn't say all of these people are foster parents well well they're not anymore yeah well, do you look back dead. that far <laughs> they weren't well, before they were dead fuck you Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no they were fo- supposedly there would be foster parents within the last two years because that's well maybe not yeah, some of them would have been over a decade ago. It would be in that nine-year span, right? Because it's after after the parents die, but before, and then the killings start two years ago. So, like, within that seven years, probably. Would yeah. have to be. It's sloppy police work that no one finds this, but also we're talking about an era before these sorts of records would be a thing you could look up easily. Yeah, the yeah, police yeah. bad at anything but beating people, you say. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I did have, a, like, a half-second moment where I'm like, hey, why don't you call the police on your cell phone? Oh, right, it's 1995, and not everyone has a cell phone. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, Um. This, this stretch is definitely, I think, part of why this is a period piece and not set in modern day. Although I guess it was kind of modern day with the original publication. Either way, uh, Lunge is pushing Junkers, and he goes hard until Junkers just breaks down screaming, and Tenma intervenes. As his doctor, I'm ordering you out of here. The animation on Junkers um, having a breakdown is, like, really good, like, even in the background when he's behind Tenma. Like, animation on this continues to be excellent in places when it wouldn't really have to be because it's so dialogue-driven. Because a lot of it is static shots of people just standing around talking, and then they uh, do a lot of really good background work, and um, like a lot of really good directorial decisions um, in between would have would have been manga frames. I'll put up some shots of the manga. It's very clear. This is incredibly faithful in a way that it's like, yeah, we we looked over every one of these sketches and tried to just make them flow. Yeah, and. They do. A, I looked at some of it just to compare with this episode, and they do an excellent job on like, um, like camera work in between the frames. It's excellent. Yeah, 
And Urasawa was involved at some level with the animation of this, so I think that might be part of it. But it's also Madhouse, who don't fuck around. So, uh, Lunge does not take this lying down, and he just gets in an ice burn on the way out. Alright, I'll come back later. But I'm leaving a guard, because Treble seems to find you, Dr. Tenma, and I don't want him walking off or poisoned. Mm-hmm. You know, somehow Tenma is shocked by this when the only two times he's met this guy are with his patients up and dying, or vanishing, over Mm -hmm. and over. And then we have a long monologue by Tenma to Junkers in a wheelchair outside. He pushes him past the guard. He's like, look, he's my patient. I'm taking him out for exercise and fresh air. And he... Knows the guy is awake, he's, like, just being recalcitrant, but he's trying to say, you know, I turned my life around at some point. It's very possible you, too, could make a change or cooperate with the police and use that as a fresh start. You don't have to be defined by what you've done wrong. And this is when Junkers responds with a monologue in kind. So Junkers says that Tenma, despite being probably his age, reminds him a lot of his father. And he talks about the whole thing that set him on the journey of just being a lockpick for hire is, as a child, he wanted a clock. Just this little cuckoo clock with had a nutcracker that popped out on the hour every hour. And since, you know, a clockwork mechanical thing like that is not exactly affordable by a child, the very first lock he tried to jimmy was on the store that sold one of those. He got caught instantly because he was a child. (laughs) Which implies they were inside. Yeah. Did not get that clock. And also, this is the part that gets me, never went back for it as an adult when he got better at this job. (laughs) <laughs> true i mean maybe maybe it was a psychological block or something but like also to, to think that he would like fall into a life of crime because of something he did as like a young child seems a bit much well they basically imply that people who yeah. did have a life of crime already were like hey there's this kid and yeah. just kept sweeping him up into jobs yeah yeah there, there, there's some dot connecting that you have to do in the back but like yeah it's you know, this is this is his origin story. And well, so not everyone can be Batman that. No, sometimes <laughs> you just break down crying because you never got a stupid clock. Mm-hmm. It's not even cool. It's incredibly embarrassing. It's lame. Yeah, but he was a child. <laughs> maybe maybe it should be pronounced junkers instead. You know, junkers is definitely a good description of my dude once you see that clock. We cut to the city at night. Becker and Tenma are walking down the street. Uh, Becker has set Tenma up on a date, and he's just, like, pleading with Tenma not to fuck this up. It was hard to set up because she's the daughter of a head of state. Um, It's crazy to me that he has a connection like this, right? Like, how does Becker know this guy? You meet a lot of people when you're slumming it in bars every day. Also, let's be fair. I am the Becker of this podcast. How Uh many times have we just gone, oh, Fletcher knows a guy? (laughs) I 
Fair enough. But like, it's just funny because Becker is set up as like, you know, he's just kind of a schmuck, like a regular old schmuck who happens to also be a halfway decent surgeon. And yet he somehow knows all these available women. Well, yeah, Uh, nobody is attracted to him, but they do go, I've got this friend. Oh, I would like to meet your friend. And here's my friend. Have fun. (laughs) It's very Um, kind of him. Tenma immediately just blows this date off because he's walking by a clock shop, sees a clock just like the one Junkers wanted as a kid, and he decides to buy it for the murder suspect slash patient and deliver it to him at nine at night when he's probably asleep because of his dramatic head injury. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Junkers, meanwhile, decided, I am going to turn over a new leaf and confess. It's not too late for me. He goes to alert his guard outside and finds the guy dead against the wall. So, of course, Tenma just basically barges in to another dark hospital. Like, do they not leave the fucking lights on? This is like back when we decided we didn't give a shit about the planet at all, I guess. Uh, (laughs) I'm just saying, I've been to a hospital after dark. They keep on minimal lights in case someone needs to get around. (laughs) People gotta go to the fucking... The vending machine. Come on. And there is still staff in a hospital after dark. People don't just, like, code on a schedule. What if they did, though? I code on a schedule from 9 to 5. Oh my god. <laughs> what? <laughs> and actually, it's like, actually, that, it's like 4 a.m. to noon. <laughs> so, Tenma gets to the room. Uh, sees the guard outside the wall. He sees a candy wrapper on the ground and like a fucking moron, he just picks it up and looks at it and goes, oh no! Uh, the kick-ass jazz music starts and Tedma looks down the hallway and sees, and sees like the stairwell door closing. So he just chases after him, chases him out, follows him ac- down some streets into a parking garage. As Tenma tries to, uh, you know, climb the stairs to chase after Junkers, uh, Junkers is like warning him to like stay away, stay away, please. I don't want you to die. Uh, and Tenma does not. Uh, he comes upon Junkers. He's on his knees before a shadowed figure, and then without any formality, Johan reveals himself, and uh, he is the, of course, titular monster, and the one that Junkers was referring to. Shocking and... nobody but Chris. <laughs> 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 uh-huh. Uh. And, th- and this goes uh, incredibly poorly for everyone involved, except for Johan. Uh, he says y- he says that Johan was a name I used to go by. And, um, you know, because uh, Tenma, like, recognize, of course, is using his, his original name. And he's, like, trying to beg for his sense of, uh, you know, like, I'm a doctor. I saved you. I, you know, life is precious. You can't kill people. Um, and he said, like, uh, Johan replies, you know, I, I can't kill a man who saved my life and uh, totally tears down Tenma by telling him, oh, yeah, uh, it, I'm so glad you got uh, promoted after I killed uh, the three people you wished were dead. Uh, you really struck gold by saving my life, didn't you? We got to there's like that really dramatic flashback of him saying to Johan, I, they are, I hate them so much. They're better off. Bastards. Dead. Bastards. Yeah. Yeah. R- very good. Fucking also eat shit, Johan. Your foster parents definitely kept you alive by not letting you starve in the streets. Fuck off. Yeah, we we don't. I mean, we don't get the sense that any of these parents were 
necessarily bad as far as we know at least in these episodes uh so it's always people <laughs> with no kids judging other people's parenting interesting <laughs> i am very intelligent uh <laughs> excuse me <laughs> damn it <laughs> uh so johan just you know at the end of this executes yunkers just shoots him in the head a bunch of times and uh it starts to rain outside uh and then he just walks right by uh tenma who is in shock and vanishes into the night by very good i mean very gross wet sounds on that last one. Oh yeah he 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 makes sure to double triple quadruple tap once once uh, y- uh yunkers went down that uh, is actually a major plot point later. Start counting how many bullets a person puts into someone as a status of their mental health. <laughs> Fletch, you, you, you missed the recording uh, about like an hour and a half ago where we were described as someone who was getting shot as a magazine. <laughs> yeah, they turn into the magazine, or is it a clip? God. That's, yeah. We don't ever get that brutal here, but we were talking about the state of matter that bullets are. We decided they were gas because they expand on entering your body. Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) This was a G Gundam. Very, very sad. (laughs) I should start listening to that now that I don't edit it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's pretty good. We make a pretty good pod. So we hard cut from this to an interrogation room the next day. The downpour is continuing. And the first line back in reality is Lungay. I despise the rain. All it does is wash away evidence. Of course, Tenma is being questioned because, yeah, no shit. But they let him go again because he has an alibi with witnesses for the time of the cop's murder. He was on his way to a date with one of his colleagues and going to buy a clock. And nobody found any gunpowder residue on his hands, which does tentatively clear him for the double homicide. Unfortunately, this is not enough to get him to instantly process grief, so Tenma gets about a block away from the building, collapses to his knees, and weeps in the rain. End. That takes us into episode 5, The Girl of Heidelberg. We begin with a woman running across a college campus. As a lecture proceeds, we see her like sprinting up as the professor is like grilling the class. Can no one answer this question? And then she bursts in the fucking loudest doors of all time in my head. Just thinking about King of the Hill and how those need some WD-40. Boggle! Uh, she bursts in, drawing the attention of the professor, Professor Kroniker. Kroniker? Kroniker. Like Kroniker. <laughs> you would. You're just having fun with every one of these German names. <laughs> Look, Junker, Lunge, Chroniker. It's, it's not my fault they're dumb. I'm <laughs> sorry your language is bad. I don't speak it. So I apologize to my partners instead. Uh, sorry, I'm going to start saying ger- doing ger- whenever someone says German, I'm going to go, ho, 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 sauerkraut. Oh my god. <laughs> We're going to have a long season then. <laughs> uh. I mean, you gotta at least, like, hand it to the German language. that They have some amazing terms of, like, gotta, highly uh, specific things, like... Well, yeah, all they do is make com- longer and longer compound nouns in a way that I respect. It's incredible. Yeah, it's basically how a coder works, so, yes. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, Professor Chronic makes her solve the riddle before she's seated. 
Um, she passes with flying colors because despite being overworked, she's pretty good at this. So we meet her, the girl. Her name is Nina Fortner. The Nina- funny thing about this is that it's not like she stated a statute or something. She's just like, oh, yeah, just this like is what the case was the about. Just like a psycho. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you do in law school. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, she basically just said, here's the details of, like, this is how the case went, like, vaguely, generally. That's not what you do. You look it up on fucking, like, Google Scholar and scribe. Fuck off. Ooh, yes, that's what you story. do now. In the 90s, you had to memorize this crap. Like, do not get me wrong. The majority of white-collar professions are just using specialized versions of Google to look stuff up. Mm-hmm. You're also not wrong. That's what my job is. So Nina is a popular girl, and we meet Peter, who cannot score. Like, my, what a dipshit. No, that poetry <laughs> that made you real, that flooded the basement, wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> Peter is like, okay, okay. He's been turned down so many times, and it's, even Nina is just like, yeah, I know you're interested in me. That's cute. And he just doesn't give up because he's a dipshit. Yeah, it's not like he's got the himbo thing where it's like, boy, I just don't get it. He's getting dunked on so publicly, literally everyone is just cackling the instant he tries it because they know how this will go. Yeah. <laughs> She's even like, calls him like, did you write that poem? And it's like, why would you even call that out in front of his friends? Like, it's rude. I mean, um, I mean, he doesn't deserve to be treated any better than that, to be honest. But, <laughs> like, catch a hint. Stop. I don't know. He's just, like, a lovable dipshit. He does not seem very offensive in any way. I like but, him. Yeah, he's not <laughs> offensive, but he's just so, I will use the pun, criminally incompetent at getting laid. Mm-hmm. Like, my Fucking dude seems... Same. My dude he's, seems perfectly nice. He could probably succeed at this if he aimed... A little lower than the rising star Aikido champion head of the class girl. <laughs> but no, he has his sights set on moon or nothing. I mean, to be honest, I mean, she's in his friend group somehow. Uh, but also Daddy, like he, Daddy he's Tesla like going to take him to Nina. <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like if this were modern day, like they'd try to turn this guy into like an incel or something like it, it's got like that, like two degrees away from that energy to me. He's Steve Urkel. OK, I'm fair. wearing her down. Oh, no, thank you. We will also learn in this sequence that Nina doesn't have any childhood memories from like before the age of 10. And her, the family she is with is an adopted family that are basically have not told her that she's not her child. And they like are gaslighting the fuck out of her. Like, she sees some kids in costumes walking down the street, and she says, what's up with that? Oh, it was this costume parade. I wish I was in it. Oh, you were. Here's a photo of a child whose face is obscured in a costume. See, that's you at the age of five. Yeah, what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah, these... That's this elaborate. is a move that I just... Oof. These guys would be so much more sympathetic if we didn't have this scene. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, when you were a kid, you played dress-up and everything, and they're just trying to go with it. But having the whole photo book of models posing to give her this fake backstory is wild. Wait for it. Okay, okay, check it out. It's like, when is this, the 80s? This is Uh, 95. Okay. So they don't even have printers that can print photos like they had to go down to like the fucking Walgreens and print all these out. The amount of effort that went into this is out of control. 
I wonder, uh, like, my first thought was, oh, they took photos from the original family and just didn't save the ones that had the parents and the brother in it. They just had pictures of just her. Because that's possible. No, they would not get, they would not come in, be allowed to have a murder victim's possessions. Well, like, what do you do, like, with their estates? It goes in the garbage. Uh, yeah, generally with something like that, especially with the guy being a diplomat, it probably would have been seized as evidence. You look for next of kin and then burn the rest. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it seems like they went through a lot of effort to build this lie when they didn't need to. I mean, that, no, they That didn't. is what lying is, Matt. <laughs> That's the thing. They could have just gone, oh yeah, you know, you, you dressed up as a kid and been very vague about it, which would have been less convincing, but also would have been less terrible. Mm -hmm. I guess, I mean, the only justification you could probably make, like rationalization, is that her trauma was so extreme and her reaction to it so extreme that you can't even have it be a wandering thought of what was her past really like. Well, she has such a block on it. And, and we find out know. how heavy it is. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't really tell at least in the first meeting, that this guy was a therapist and not just, like, a the part of the... Yeah, like, the, the school counselor. counselor? Yeah, like, there was there was a bit about it that just seemed like he's just giving general advice, and then also there's this touch of, like, it's psychological therapy, but then they go out and they're in the school, and I'm like, schools, they do that's have psychologists, but, like... That's what school counselors are like. They're, like, shitty psychologists that at the end say the solution is to focus on school. <laughs> please do not yeah. drop out and stop paying us money yeah it's uh yeah. it's strange uh but yeah like that's that's the next scene is that uh there's a counseling session where um nita lets slip that she wants to be a public prosecutor and uh which makes sense considering she's in a i guess a pre-law class yeah and um that uh, she once had a recurring dream about a monster pursuing her. And uh, back in, in another class session, uh, a question comes up about a trial of a murdered family in Munich. And uh, this causes her to have a uh, PTSD attack. And um, this is where she says, like, she has no memories uh, before the age of 10. To Peter, who, you know, despite pulling her out of class and trying to care for her, is then going to start doing a mocking impression of her psychiatrist is like, dude, dude, she's being vulnerable right now with you because she trusts you. This is not the uh -huh. move. Yeah, yeah. He tries to play it off like, oh, what? What triggered you? This story about a murdered family? <laughs> it's like, guy, <laughs> like, don't do that. It is some real uh, butthead energy. <laughs> you were crying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this is... Uh, the, meanwhile, uh, she is getting um, emails from a mysterious stranger in like very florid language, and I will also bury a part you where... in flowers. Yeah, <laughs> Creepy. I don't think it's bury; it's shower you. Uh, it depends on the translation. In the manga, they use "I will bury you in flowers." Well, that is way more menacing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Shout also menacing to... that you're getting romantic-ish like poem sent to you from an anonymous email like that's what your spam inbox is matt <laughs> yeah well, but you don't mind it keep in mind this is 96 when you did not have a spam inbox you actually had to be 
kind of hooked up to have an inbox and internet as a general thing. That computer is lovingly drawn and has, Uh like, oh, instant nostalgia over hard drive sounds. Yeah, no, they do a really good job. But I I thought it was really interesting that she had uh, a computer in her room, you know, in this year. That's a really generous. I mean, it must have been still pretty expensive in the mid '90s. Yeah, this would have been a a computer. I think I had a computer. Yeah, I did. Because I had one, but they they tended to run at least a thousand bucks. Yeah, I played Diablo two on it because my parents grounded Mm -hmm. me by taking away the internet. And jokes on you, I'm gonna play a bunch of single player Diablo two, and it made them very angry. Uh, (laughs) Uh, One touch I like that's just in the animation. They are zooming in on this screen often so that you can also read the messages. They don't just do generic squiggles or whatever. And it's lovingly rendered German all over because that's mm-hmm. where they are. In a sick mono space font. Yeah, they they do a whole font. They're they're putting in a lot of work. It's kind of impressive. Yeah. I don't it, speak German enough to know if they got it right, but hey. This is the most luxuriously, like, just in terms of, like, how much money is spent and how lovingly done every single thing is. Great. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in Germany, someone is asking questions and following the trail of a boy named Michael, bouncing from adopted household and community to household and community. He was, you know, here for two years. I remember him. He sat in my class. He didn't make an impression. Oh, yeah, he was with the old murdered couple for, I think, 1982 to 1984, or whatever years I'm making them up. But we eventually come to find, after this montage, that it is Tenma, and Michael has done remarkably well covering his tracks, with the killing seeming to be his former foster parents, and at least one suspicious arson of a records building. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Eventually, as he realizes he's kind of come to a dead end, he has a thought. Johan had a twin. And in Heidelberg, the latest email promises Nina that I will be coming for you soon. Which, <laughs> this this is where Nina starts uh-huh. getting like, uh... Creepy. Yeah. You know what's funny? This is the point where I go, doesn't Tenma have a job? <laughs> What happened to his job? Did he quit? So he he is very much forsaking everything because the encounter with Johan has shaken him so much. Well, oh, also, sure. did we go over the part where he um, reported it to the police and they clearly made them more intensely suspicious of him? Yeah, that was yeah. the end of yeah, last yeah. episode. Okay, I just do not remember us saying it because I am tired. Yeah, yeah. It, it closed out episode four. Okay. Yeah, it's a... Uh... You know, I, I can see like he get maybe he takes some time off or goes on leave or whatever. But like, yeah, at this point, like he's not at the hospital for the rest of these episodes. Well, he's trying to like exonerate himself, basically, yeah, essentially. And he's already starting to look rough. He's clearly not shaving. He's crossing the country after leads. And uh, by next episode, someone is going to comment that he is not bathing either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. He's he falls into a lead when after another attempt to talk to someone, it's just like, no, I really don't want to talk about the past of the dead couple person who is coming off unhinged and is not a cop. Uh, A guy upstairs in a building hears him asking after Michael and goes, yeah, I got a story for you. Come on up. I'll make some tea. 
And within seconds, this guy is like, okay, so you said you're a doctor. That means you're Tenma, right? He was talking about you. And Tenma's just like, oh shit, okay, this is exactly what I'm after. But we start looking around, and this small apartment for the old man is very decorated with war photos for a German mm-hmm. guy. Wonder mm-hmm. how that went. He says he was in the yep. German army. Then you see some photos where it's not quite clear, and then he says, oh, I was in a U-boat. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's not... You, you see the eagle, I'm pretty sure. You don't see, you a do see the eagle. You see the eagle after. Okay. Yeah, he still has his hat, like, on display. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this makes it real weird when he's like, yeah, the kid was calling himself Franz at the time, but he also told me that that wasn't his real name. And he really loved hearing my stories. War stories. Stories of ultimate fear, the verge of death, panic, everything that pushed people to their limits. He wanted to hear it over and over. But he also says that, you know, he took lessons and he was incredibly bright. The kid was no more than 12 at this time. And by the time he vanished into the night, he'd picked up enough to become fluent in English and French from the guy. I'm not even fluent in English. (laughs) (laughs) uh like the the best story is the one he like he says like his favorite story was when they were in the u-boat and they were getting bombed and they thought they were going to die and so like you know you have this whole u-boat full of people thinking they're gonna you know drown or get you know exploded and somehow they end up surviving the encounter and like what a powerful image just like i mean i'm claustrophobic and like i've been in submarines and I'm already like get a little like freaked out at the idea of I would be in here and wouldn't be able to leave. And you add in on top of that, the fear of like actually getting attacked. How's quarantine treating you? (laughs) Better than you think. I have anime. Disgusting. Uh, (laughs) For what it's worth, I will give you a nice moment of levity among this, which is. Well, why don't you do it after I describe what I found the most chilling? Uh, (laughs) The thing that I found particularly chilling is the bit where he says most people would hear read this story as an adventure story, but the part he was interested in was the terror of people believing they would die at any moment for multiple days. It just yeah, oh yeah, real sicko shit. Oh yeah, this is this is the point where you go, oh yeah, this guy is fucking ridiculously evil. Fletcher, do a low-effort Photoshop of the sicko face peering out of a porthole for this episode cover. <laughs> All right. All right. I will just I will just put the word balloon over the German guy looking out of a submarine. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, he has such a good face because they draw his eyes in this very milky way that even among the distinct style of this series is like, oh, you see, you see something's up. Until you said Milky, I was like, are we still talking about the Sickos guy? (laughs) (laughs) The Sickos guy would be Milky, wouldn't he? But yeah, here, have have a brief bit of why I can never take submarine stuff too seriously. My grandfather was a naval technician, and he did serve on a lot of subs. And a story I would hear later, after he pulled a Talladega Nights and ran off, leaving my grandmother alone to die was that 
apparently he was also probably bisexual because he would tell stories which passed down to my mother who later told them to me of how submarines were nothing but fucking and sucking in those tiny corridors and you could never get any space or privacy but people were still horny so it's just like you're trying to work on a pipe and you could just hear slurping from a crevasse. You could hear someone else trying to work on a pipe you mean? (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) And because of those stories, I can never take the fear of a submarine seriously because I just think God, no one knows when they can get head next. Relatable. I mean, like... Mm. Also, you, you fuck would... my granddad. Yeah, I'm well. good. <laughs> you mangy transient shit, I hope you hear this and I hope you die. Anyway. I love the idea of transients listening to anime podcasts. Just riding the rails, hiding out behind some crates, trying not to laugh at somebody making a 9-11 joke. For what it's worth, my dude has literally been traveling the upper part of the country and Alaska in an RV for 15 years since he abandoned Grandma. So, because he met some bitch on AOL chat rooms. It would have been around the time of this story, actually. (laughs) Piece of shit. Anyway, uh, we back to the show... The old man closes his scene with a very chilling statement. You say he trusted me. I do not think so. I do not know what he looks like or where he went, and he enjoyed knowing I could not do a single thing to stop him. The only person I think he's ever trusted is his sister, Dr. Tenma, and he's going to claim her when she turns 20 in a town called Heidelberg. So, we hard cut back to a town called Heidelberg, where Nina thanks to her friends setting her up, meets her prince on a white horse, a student named Otto. But behind this awkward clown, as the guy is introducing himself, she sees a blonde man who looks incredibly familiar. Before she can focus on it, she just collapses to the ground in a faint, and we have credits. Her her friends are kind of... They're trying to be supportive, but they're also a little like... Come on, guys, have a little bit of awareness. You know, if you're friends with the top of the class girl and somebody is like going out of their way in this big romantic gesture, maybe a part of you is thinking, hey, maybe she should get laid. <laughs> Ease off for the Fair rest enough. of us. Uh, take her off the market. Also true. We don't have to deal with Peter anymore if she starts dating a guy. <laughs> Uh, that takes us into episode six, The Missing. We um, <clears throat> we open on a newspaper office. After hours, the secretary is leaving the editor alone with a visitor in the conference room. The secretary comments on how it's clear that neither the editor nor the visitor have been bathing lately, so you're sure to get along. <laughs> well, I mean, basically, this guy is just another Becker, so yeah. <laughs> This guy is Turbo Becker, though. He is Turbo Becker. Becker has a little bit of charm, and you can see he's a nice guy who's trying well. This dude is like, I will ruin everything for pursuit of what I want. His English voice is extremely powerful Skyrim vibes. 
that's that's a good way to put it, given that he is basically an NPC who only gets named near the end of his episode. I don't know if you played Skyrim recently, but he sounds just like Bellathor, the general store merchant in the White Run. I don't know if I got there because my did There's I ever an tell you how game. did I ever tell you how cursed my run of Skyrim was? No. I played it once. It was after the big deluxe edition came out, so I had all the DLCs, and I got up to where the dragon thing was, and I started running around trying to hunt dragons, because like, well, yeah, I want all the cool powers, and this is a big open world. And I stumble into the vampire thing, and I do the vampire quest, and eventually, we get to the point where I'm like, okay, I probably need to go further the story. And sometime around this point, maybe 20 hours in, the game stops letting me jump. And the world of Skyrim is not very handicap accessible, so slowly I'm working around this. Okay, I just have to find spots for this. But eventually it gets to where, oh, I can't get up. I can't go up. And I can't fast travel because I have too much stuff because I was intending to go back to town. But it's like, okay... Okay, now I have a problem. And I just slowly get swept down a river to the lowest point of the map. And it's just like, well, <laughs> all my saves are ruined, and my character is crippled, and I guess I'm done here. <laughs> That's incredible. Never figured out what caused that. Looked for mods, tried to fly, whatever. Could not, for the life of me, make that work. And the button was bound. Everything I attempted just wouldn't jump. I automatically assumed it was a binding. And yeah, it was I know. To Same until the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's just like everyone says that. Oh, you must have unbound the key. A mod must have done something. No, oh, the key no, was please. bound. Like Skyrim doesn't just lose key bindings sometimes. Yeah, my favorite and I... thing is when you get to White Run and none of the textures loaded. Oof. So yeah, I don't know if I even saw White Run. Because I was just breaking the story so quick. Oh, you definitely did, because that's where you fight the first dragon. Okay, then I just don't remember the place. I mean, talk about, like, some existential horror shit. Uh, Like, you know, every time you go closer to, like, sea level or, like, closer to the core of the Earth, you can't go up again. You just keep getting lower and lower and lower. It does have a bit of Junji Ito energy to it. Yeah, it does. The more you sink, the the higher you will never be again. Yeah. I'm fucking gotta get down to get down. Ah, <laughs> uh, I will never not love a George Michael joke. Thank you. I don't know who that is. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sicko shit. <laughs> so, the editor is making his way to the guests, and he's groaning about how his okay, how the paper has no future, but it's still keeping them paid anyway. And he walks in to see the disheveled Tenma and says, huh, she was right. He is filthy. <laughs> um, Tenma makes a pitch to him. He says that he thinks the reason Johan knows where Nina is stems from both of them being adopted by the same family. Thus, the six month blank period before he came back onto the radar as a runaway. Um, the editor is like, I am not going to buy this. This sounds ridiculous. And then he's like, I'm not trying to sell you the story because it would just cause a panic. But I do want to check your archives to see if anyone reported a missing blonde child nine years ago in Germany. Good luck. 
and know, uh, right? <laughs> see if he's onto something and see if he's onto anything. Matt. Yeah. So the editor uh, laughs at his face, uh, but and it, it, they make it look like he walks away, and Tenma is like trying to beg him to like, no, please let me look. And uh, but he he leads uh, leads Tenma into the archive room and says, I, I don't have the time to follow flights of fancy, but show yourself out when you're done. And he even pulls out all of the um, all of the reports from that year within I think it was 1986. Yeah. So then. The next day, uh, Nita's friends uh, apologized to her for trying to uh, make the whole thing happen with her prince so hard. And, you know, she ends up fainting. She thought that it was due to meeting this guy that it happened. But um, it turns out that Otto wasn't the uh, prince on a white horse after all, because uh, they asked him about the emails and he's like, he had no idea about what that was about. So she's meeting with her therapist again. And, uh, He's trying to uh, shy her away from hunting down the the young man, even though uh, she feels like he's a uh, key to a breakthrough with her memory. And uh, yeah, it, we get the sense here that the therapist is not really on the up and up. Well, no, he's only his only career job is to make sure students stay in school and don't get. Yeah, to I think Chris has that- it with that. Yeah, yeah, I like I didn't they are they are HR but for colleges. Yeah, I didn't consider that that angle at the time, but like yeah, that that makes a lot more sense cuz like she should really be in therapy therapy. <laughs> uh and like that per you know, that kind of therapist would probably not necessarily say stop you know looking for this thing that's very emotionally important to you. Even though it's traumatic and whatnot. But uh meanwhile, elsewhere in town, uh Tenma has uh, legit passed the fuck out on the floor of the archive room uh, where the editor finds him because he, he didn't, he goes into the archive room being like, ah, that guy was weird, huh? Oh no, and even better. He comes in the next morning and one of his co-workers is like, hey, uh, did you really let that hobo into the archive room? Because <laughs> he was saying you gave him permission. He's like, what? The dude's still here? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so he finds him on the floor and, uh, you know, shakes him awake and uh, takes him out for uh, breakfast to at least get him out of the building. Um, this guy's name is Maurer, and uh, he tells a bit of a story over the meal. Uh, and, and by the way, we should just say he is chain smoking the entire time we see him. Oh, yeah. He never does not have a cigarette in his fingers or his mouth. Yeah. It made just... me come dangerously close to go getting another pack of cigarettes. <laughs> I could see that this character is glamorizing them to an amazing degree. Yeah, and they do a lot of detail with him, like, you know, opening a, the pack to pull out the next one. And, you know, it, the way he like when they're in the car and he puts it out in the um, like, there's a lot of shots of ashtrays that are just absolutely full of uh, used butts in there. So, like, they really are selling this guy smokes. So, <laughs> I don't know why that sounded weird. <laughs> it sounded really dramatic. Uh, so it, <laughs> well, we because found... you said it in a "this guy fucks" cadence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> true. That's the that's the exact cadence, right? Like, yeah, that was. I don't know why I went with that, but whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sicko. Sometimes a cigarette is just a cigarette, Matt. <sighs> this is real sicko hours on Monster. <laughs> 
this is the sicko season on, you know, because it's monster. Oh, you don't even know. Yeah, no, I don't. Wait uh, till we meet the baby. Wait till we meet the baby oh, no? and the subtitle is revealed to be I'm Sex Monster. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Just parentheses around the I'm and sex part. Look, I mean, we all know that, like, some sicko shit always goes down on Boku No Stop when a baby shows up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just always true. Um, but yeah, so Maurer gives his whole backstory, which is he was a workaholic who, uh, you know, destroyed his family because he was away all the time that his wife left with uh, their kid. And, uh, you know, he's just trying to keep this. He just really cares about work. Like, that's his thing is just, you know, a man is about his job. And even though this paper is failing, like, I, this is just everything to me. So Tenma uh, frets over his health and his uh, habits, particularly the smoking. And uh, Maurer says, oh, you sound just like my wife. She said the same thing. You know, it's it's kind of cute. They're they're starting to bond a bit. So meanwhile, Nina's parents are deciding, uh, hey, maybe we just uh, break the promise we made to ourselves to uh, never tell Nina that she is adopted and uh well no the we'll promise tell- they made was we'll tell her when she's 20 and then they're talking and they're like oh right, right we don't right, have right, to tell right. her right no we don't have to tell her yeah like, they're just going to continue living that lie for the rest of their lives um i would probably also at that point to be real yeah like there's there is a point to be made of like she is happy and generally happy and well adjusted and seems to be doing well at everything so, so, like, maybe love, she could be okay. But love like, to have to cope, cope with the murder of my family at the age of 20 while I'm in college. I'm just saying that you don't have to give her the full details, but that might be a key piece of helping her figure her shit out is no, a lot of things don't add up and I have all these nightmares and it's like, well, honey... You you did come to us late. You were adopted. And that's it. We still love you. We've had you for 10 years. Nothing's going to change that. But that would probably help her with a lot of doors. Fletcher, I would sure. lie when it was not required just to avoid being mildly inconvenienced. So not gonna, not landing <laughs> for me. Yeah, no, I th- there's definitely a middle ground between, by the way, your family was murdered and, you know, and you had a amnesic, you know, reaction, traumatic reaction to it. And... <laughs> That's where your PTSD is coming from. Uh, and like, hey, by the way, you're adopted. <laughs> I am. What I will I'm say is I think their lie, their lie is too extreme, to be honest. Yes. Like, if it wasn't for the photo thing. Yeah, I exactly. Might be like, just say you're adopted. But then you're admitting that you also went to wild lengths to fake it. That's kind of it. If you had yeah. one without the other, I would say maybe let sleeping dogs lie. But you promised yourself this for 10 years and you went to such extremes to make sure she never suspected. I feel like at some point you have to come clean, because how much worse is this going to be if she finds out after one or the both of you die? Mm-hmm. Thank goodness yeah. that won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, like, we're supposed to feel like these are generally good parents, but they made poor decisions. Because Boy, they did care a they. lot. Yeah. But like I don't I don't know how bad we're supposed to feel about what happens to them. It's very I mean, granted, they raised her and they probably did a pretty decent job of doing that oh. outside of this. Come right? On, Someone needs to tell me how I'm supposed to feel. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm conflicted on it. 
This this is a thing I legitimately it's like about Urasawa. That's is what's good about it. We're having no, all I know. this discussion about two random, basically NPCs in the story, and there's enough depth to them over the course of this yeah, that we're this like, is your mom all right, and dad, and Fallout Four. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's uh, the thing. There there are very few completely flat characters a lot of these people in this story on the sidelines do have some some meat to them that's very mm-hmm. big in urasawa's works yeah like even that fucking yeah. lady who we hate from the last three episodes whose name i already forgot ava oh, yeah whatever mm-hmm. uh, she will come back dude yeah i, I mentioned I that assume, at the time yeah i i assume that she's probably making an appearance again uh but these two uh not so much I'm uh, mentally constructing an elaborate Ratatouille fantasy just so I could say someone pilots the Ava. Uh, That's France, not Germany. Look. <laughs> I got nothing. Carry on. <laughs> I won't say we won't head elsewhere in Europe. I'm just saying wrong country. <laughs> just the most intense wheel spinning to try to wriggle out of that one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, two days later... Uh, Tenma is still scouring the archives and the editor has joined him in the search uh, and uh, they find something about a 11 year old missing and they, they go, um, the editor goes like, Oh, okay. Let me check the the details on this to find like the address, you know, the the raw data he calls it. And it said, Oh, you said uh, that he would come for his sister on her 20th birthday. Uh, we have his birthday on file. Check the check this. And it's like, I think it's the next. Is it the same day or the it's next that day? same day? It's the same day. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, we've also passed over a scene the prior day where she gets another email and she's being asked to go up to Heidelberg Castle at right. seven p.m. to meet him. Yeah. So at this point, they're like, "Oh shit, we actually have a real lead." Uh, so the editor takes Tenma in his car to uh, the Fortner's house. Uh, but at this point, it's already too late. She has gone out to Heidelberg Castle. Uh, and uh, she she told the her parents that, um, that you know, she was going out uh, to meet a friend at the castle. Uh, yeah, on the drive, uh, Maurer says something uh, of note. Uh, and he said he was uh, at one of the crime scenes of the elderly couple murders that are tied to this case. And he said, I, I've seen a lot of crime scenes, but call it corny, but I can only say that the killing was the devil's work. And you're telling me that this is a teenager? <laughs> uh, and, that man has never seen a movie before. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the way he described it is like, it just really seemed like the only reason there was a murder was because someone wanted to murder the shit out of somebody. Like there wasn't really a sense of like, there wasn't enough stuff stolen to make sense for probably the number of people like he's going over the stuff that uh we saw lungay talk about which is this is motivated but not by greed and we did cut over a part that yunkers was talking about before he was killed which is that the way this worked is johan only spoke to them by phone wired them money to be split three ways after it so they all they had to do was just grab some random things and make it look like a crime of passion but they were getting paid out the ass enough that three men could split it. So Maurer finishes the conversation with saying, uh, all I know is one thing. 
If I ever had that killer in front of me, I'd finish him off without hesitation. So, like, Maurer's just like, fuck this guy. And when they arrive, the Fortners are not receptive to this whole thing at all. The instant Tenma mentions, or Maurer mentions the missing son, the door is slammed in their face. The doorknob is so unbelievably detailed. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little lever handle. Yeah, but like, oh, even like the lock and everything, it's not just like a generic flat door handle, everything. It is incredible. Mm-hmm. To be fair, it doesn't move much, so one drawing does a lot of work. It does move. Like th- I said, not much. Well, what I'm saying is when it opens, you, they, you even see that it's not like a rounded one. It's a flat boxy one because oh, yeah, they have one of those drawn the depth. Grab per- handles. Yeah, they have like drawn the depth perfectly. Like all that little small stuff is extremely impressive. Yeah. yeah. And and we, we could tell also we see the family react and they look terrified before they close the door. Yeah. Well at the mention of, hey, did you have a missing second child? Admittedly, part of this is because and they will say, Go away, let sleeping dogs lie. Don't ruin this if Nina comes home right now. <laughs> so, you know, still kind of assholes. But they, the two of them together, Tenma and Morer, gets them to listen. Unfortunately, this is where they say Nina's not there, and so Tenma badgers Morer into giving up his keys so he can head off while the editor calls the police and fills the family in. And the last thing we see of them is someone has cut the phone line. Mm-hmm. So atop the castle... Nina has been waiting for nearly an hour, and she decides, well, guess this whole thing was a prank, just like the last time. Cool. But she starts making her way to the stairs, and a gardener tells her she needs to wait. Specifically, he lifts up some shears and tells her, it's my job to make you wait. And that's when she uh, rightly goes, oh, fuck, I gotta get out of here. And then suddenly someone wanders into the screen, the scene and screams, Anna! Or I guess they're calling you Nina now, Tenma says, undercutting himself <laughs> immediately. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Tenma is also a doctor who is incredibly malnourished and hasn't rested, and the gardener nearly puts the shears into his body before Aikido Master Anna disarms the guy from the side. Which... Mm. Shear, the end of shears, not that sharp. Very unthreatening. Come on. They're like not shears. They're like little just clippers. They're little yeah, pruning it, shears. They're it, it would be hard to stab someone with them. Like you could probably cut off a finger if you tried real hard. Let's put it this way. I have damaged someone with those before. You can Ooh. get them in. It's just not going to be deep, but you can pierce with that. Sure. Yeah, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that it's blunt trauma and not as threatening as it seems. Yeah, but they, we still don't want to see them in our protagonist. Yeah, they, they do animate a shine off of the blade. Yeah, for all we know, he has, like, real sicko hour shears. <laughs> sicko hour shears is the name of this episode. You know, it kind of has to be at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's weird how we always come up with the stupidest possible turn of phrase in the last 15 minutes of recording. That's how these <laughs> always get named. Of course. Uh, so she's sitting on the guy and she's like, give me something to tie him down because I can't just sit here all night and Tenma passes her his necktie. 
they interrogate him, but all he's is like, look, I just had to keep you here while he did something important, and then I get paid. And I like Tim that was they like, use a specific sound effect on tying him up with the tie, so you can tell it's not like a really good tie, and then it's like a fabric tie, not like a silky tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually is a really good tie. That's why it holds. No. Yeah. Either way. Uh, but Tenma hears this and is like, uh, the only thing he could be doing not here is tying up your family the loose end, so we gotta move. And as they go, we just see some familiar shadowed legs walking up on the gardener. But Nina insists she does not know the name Tenma is calling her in the car, and he's pretty firm. You might be Nina now, but when you were under my care as a child, they called you Anna, and your brother's name was Johan then. And the last thing we see is her going into shock again at the revelation of, I had a brother? So with that done, any thoughts? Kick-ass. It's so tense. Like, my my experience watching this show has been like, like, I'm enjoying it, but it is so wearing on me to get through, like, try to get through three episodes within a night, which is usually how I've been watching it. So, like, I, I will have to take, I'll have to take breaks because <laughs> I'm just like, oof, I, I need a moment to just, like, relax. But, yeah, well, inc- incredibly well-crafted tension. Uh, good news. Next time you're going to have four episodes because we will be coming back with episodes seven through ten next week. Yay. And a question, should the giver of life ever take one for himself? Looking forward to this pivoting into a slice of life anime about the Fortner family. <laughs> well, <laughs> slices of life? Hmm. Owned. There was a cake. <laughs> there was a cake, wasn't there? Yeah, it was pretty ornate, too. She made a three-tier birthday cake for 20. Pretty nice. Yeah. But then she but did the shittiest that... icing job on it where you couldn't tell it was three tiers. Just like eh, that's probably just because she iced it so much the thing looked like a friggin' ziggurat. Yeah, bad. Bad cake. Look, she made three tiers of cake, but her skill is that's not That's not in impressive! That's three different cakes! I could but do that! her skill is not in decorating. <laughs> there. <laughs> that's the whole point of the cake! Well, the whole point of the cake is to eat it. I was gonna say, I... I make basic bitch carrot cakes because I don't want fancy. I want a taste I like. Yeah, carrot cake is good. I know, right? I have a good recipe, just a little bit of raisin, a little bit of pineapple in that batter. Mmm. Oh, disgusting. No, my carrot I want, cake is I don't want anything white. in my carrot cake. Oh, no. I'm going to get freaky with it. Rebrace modernity and 